And we welcome you into another edition of Saturday Tailgate here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Nikhail Marquise Munson with you each and every Saturday, leading you right up to kickoff a short show today, just one hour, as we will lead you right into MTSU as Coach Stockstill and the boys head up to Iowa today to take on the 14th ranked Hawkeyes. Hollywood? Happy Saturday, buddy. Another college football day is upon us. Yeah, man, a short tailgate, but, you know, that just means we get to go to the party a little bit early. You know, that's all it is, all it is. but we'll still be talking some college football today and some exciting games later on today. Not not so much in the 11 o'clock hour. Yeah, the 11 o'clock window, other than MTSU Iowa, not overly exciting. But here's what you got coming up today on 102.5 The Game. Of course, MTSU and Iowa coverage will begin at 10 o'clock this morning, followed by Mississippi State and Auburn at 5 o'clock. And then on 94.9 Game 2, you have Ole Miss and Alabama with coverage beginning at 11.30 a.m., followed by Kentucky and South Carolina. Before we get to the Saturday spotlight today, to focus in on the games around the country of significance, let's get to the games from last night. A doubleheader of two ranked teams. Uh, we start with Penn State and Maryland as James Franklin and the Nittany Lions go into College Park and lay a biblical beatdown on Michael Oxley and the Terrapins, 59 to nothing. I don't know how long it's been since Maryland scored a touchdown on Penn State, but I think it's over three games. Nick, I have a confession to make, man. I have I am guilty of being a prisoner of the moment. Watching Maryland beat Syracuse, and I'm not saying that I, I had Maryland winning this game by any means, but being a prisoner of the moment of maybe Mike Loxley has this thing rolling a little bit. Like you get that big win against Syracuse and you know, like the old saying is they are who we thought they were and they're not <laughs> Syracuse is not good at all. And then they had a close game against Temple, and, you know, they lost that game, but it was a close game. Mm -hmm. So going into this game, they could have possibly been undefeated and going into this game with one loss, but nope, I was completely wrong. Mike Loxley has shown that, yeah, he can win games in this conference, but he's still going to be at that low tier, that low tier of the conference. And mm -hmm. they only had 128 yards in, in offense last night, and Penn State had 619. That is a large margin of difference in offense, and they just looked so out of place. They're not ready to compete with the level of the Penn States and the rest and the big teams in their conference. But the lower teams, we'll see what they do with Rutgers next week. But lower teams, they they probably can't compete with, and they'll probably stay in that tier for a little bit. But I was a prisoner of the moment. I watched that beat down they gave Syracuse, and then Syracuse ended up getting beat down by Clemson. So now mm -hmm. it's making me realize, no, nah, it wasn't Mike Loxley in this Maryland offense. It Dude, was just the, the move KJ yeah. Hammer for Penn State put on that kid for Maryland last night. He ran a slant and he took it to the house, and he threw a couple of times where he threw the foot in the ground, and then he started high stepping, and then a little boom boom. Uh, I, I thought I was watching like a twelve year old on Madden with the analog sticks. Make, making people look silly because he, I mean, KJ Hammer looked like Jalen Waddle last night going to the house. Man, it was it was a all around good good offense and Sean Clifford. You got to give him credit. Tommy Stevens leaves that program and then all of a sudden he steps in as a sophomore and he had a big game last night, over three hundred yards passing. And man, it's just there was nothing that. Penn State could do no right. If you had anybody in your fantasy team on Penn State, you probably made a killing last night because this team all around on offense was just lights out, and and that was led by Clifford and James Franklin. But I still don't know. The, the jury is still out on how good I think this Penn State team is. Like, 
I don't know if they're still going to be able to compete with an Ohio State. They may be able to compete with Michigan and, and Wisconsin, but the jury's still out to me with this Penn State team of where they can go yep, I agree. for the rest of the season. Uh, also last night in the top 25, 15th-ranked Cal was undefeated, coming off of the road win last week in the SEC at Ole Miss, and they welcomed in Herm Edwards and the Arizona State Sun Devils. And once again, Herm Edwards and Arizona State pull off the upset. And if you look at it now, Herm Edwards and Arizona State has gone on the road and defeated Michigan State. They've gone on the road and defeated Cal, two teams in the top 20. Short of the three-point loss to Colorado last week, Herm Edwards could have this team undefeated. There's something about Herm Edwards' young guys getting them up for the moment. This could become a theme and a trend under Herm Edwards. Yeah, and you got to think that Colorado game that that could have went either way. And you know, I remember Danny Gonzalez, their defensive coordinator, said that you know I was disappointed. I take that loss against Colorado on myself. They allowed 475 yards in that game, and he pointed to himself like, you know, I lost that game. And you know, it's it's good because especially they have a young freshman quarterback in Jaden Williams, and you know he threw for 174 yards. He also rushed for 84 in that game. And he's a freshman. And, you know, if you're getting this much production out of a freshman this early and having this much success with your team, you're going to keep this guy for a while. And you're going to keep him for three, four years, and then you can kind of continue to build him up and build this offense up. But, you know, it's a tough loss for Cal, especially, you know, losing their starting quarterback, and then you have to go with the backup quarterback. And he he looked awful. Like, you know, a monster looked awful when he checked in the game. He missed out on a lot of throws. But that last possession, he did have his team kind of going in momentum. But in that final possession, he had two receivers drop passes in that game late. And, you know, even though Arizona State, you know, they struggled at kicking field goals early in the game. And that could have, you know, kind of extended the lead a little bit. Kudos to Herm Edwards, man. This Herm Edwards seems exciting. And that proves that. You know, even though you're a first-year head coach, that doesn't mean that you have to have this window to where it's like you have to give me time to develop. No, Herm Edwards mm-hmm. is coming straight out the gate. He's a good coach, always been a good coach, always been a smart-minded you know, coach, especially if you watch him on ESPN. So, you know, kudos to him and, and what he was able to do with that team. All right, Captain Kurt, let's get to the Saturday Spotlight. matchups this weekend in college football. All right, Hollywood time for the Saturday Spotlight. We focus in on a handful of games from around the country. We begin today, number 18, Virginia, undefeated. They go on the road to 10th-ranked Notre Dame. The Irish looking to bounce back after a road loss to Georgia, where it feels like some people think Georgia dominated that game and suffocated Notre Dame and just squeezed the life out of them. Yet other people believe Notre Dame put on a decent showing and shouldn't be out of anything big picture. How do the Irish bounce back today? Because Virginia, unbeaten program. Yeah, unbeaten 2-0 and in, in ACC play. Their defense is has 20 sacks of the season. They rank 14th in the nation. And, you know, but they struggled last week on offense and and. Mind you, this is a a kind of interesting quarterback battle with Bryce Perkins versus Ian Book. And, you know, both of these guys, they show flashes every now and then, but they also show signs of weakness as well. And you saw that last week with Old Dominion, where they were down at halftime 17-7 to Old Dominion and then rallied back in the second half of that game. But, you know, the way I look at this game is Ian Book is going to have to have one of those games once again of, you know, having that strong performance. And, you know, everybody, a lot of questions were surrounding 
Notre Dame's defense and how well they were going to play against Georgia. And they were able to hold Georgia to a certain extent. You know, Georgia didn't have the explosive offense that they've had in recent weeks. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you could see Notre Dame getting back to that defensive trajectory. But the way I look at it, if the protection of Ian Book is going to be important in this game because that Cavaliers defense gets after the quarterback. They put a lot of pressure on him. So it's a matter of what Ian Book can do. And Notre Dame plays good in these situations at home. And and that's the thing that's been kind of Brian Kelly's day and night. At home against ranked opponents, he's, he plays very well. But then on the road, he plays like a completely different team. So if they get this win against Virginia at home and then they have other games like Michigan, Michigan will be their next big tough road opponent. I think they're still in, the, in that conversation. So this is going to be a big test for Ian Book and a good defense to test out what he can bring to this team. And I think if you if you value certain metrics, like Braden values yards per play, I looked at the yards per play difference <clears throat> Excuse me, between Notre Dame and Virginia last night. It is significant. I believe almost two yards per play difference in favor of Notre Dame. I just don't know if Virginia's offense will do enough to pull off the upset on the road. It To me, it simply comes down to the, the mindset and the mentality of Notre Dame. Are they going to be deflated? Are they going to be flat after that loss to Georgia? Or are they going to come out pissed off for greatness and look to get back on track? I think that's the difference. Yeah, today. And, and that's the biggest question. And is Bryce Perkins ready for that big stage to play on the road? And, and is he going to be able to have to be able to handle that road environment, especially with this offense not really picking up in the first half of game. So and that's going to be the main thing. They're just going to have to get to a hot start if Virginia's going to keep this at a game because I think if Notre Dame gets up 14 nothing, then I think this game can get out of reach for Virginia. All right, number 21, USC, and Matt Fink, third-string quarterback, look to build off of their momentum from the upset of Utah last week. They go on the road today against 17th-ranked Washington and Jacob Eason. I don't think USC wants to get into a shootout with a quarterback like Jacob Eason. How does USC keep that momentum going to possibly spring a second straight upset? Yeah, I look at Matt Fink and and I look at the success of this USC team in general, especially on offense. And even though they're on their third string quarterback, I think they have probably the second, third best receiving core in the country, you know, led by Michael Pittman Jr., who had 232 yards against Utah. You got Tyler Vaughn, you got St. Brown. So you know, it's going to be an interesting matchup because obviously Washington has some some great DBs with Miles Bryant being there who, you know, he leads the team in tackles and he also has two interceptions this season. And that's going to be the key is Matt Fink can't get into mistakes. And he hasn't really made too many mistakes even as a third-string quarterback. And yeah. I think that's going to be the key for them is, is being able to get the ball to your wide receivers. Their running game hasn't been very dynamic, so it's been led by their receiving core. And it's it's gonna take you know and obviously this Washington team on defense is tough and you got a guy like Jacob Beeson who has that experience who has over a thousand yards passing this year you know already has two turn two turnovers two interceptions but not not really costly interceptions but you know I, I think I look at this Washington team and defensively they're good offensively they're kind of manageable and you know Jacob Beeson can kind of control the offense so it's gonna be a tough task for him but as long as Matt Fink doesn't go out there make mistakes turn the ball over. Over, you know, I think USC can keep this out of game. Okay, two more games in our Saturday spotlight for you. Fifth-ranked Ohio State at Nebraska, about a 17-point road favorite. It is where college game day is at this morning. Justin Fields and the Buckeyes are rolling along like a complete machine right now. Adrian Martinez and Scott Frost looking for that signature victory here. And you look at Nebraska, they already have a loss this year. But the question is, 
can Nebraska muster enough offense and enough balance? Because Ohio State's going to score, and Chase Young is a total monster at getting after the quarterback. Can Adrian Martinez make plays down the field with his arm to give the Cornhuskers a chance? Yeah, he ranks 34th in the nation in passing yards per game with 263 and that also leads the Big Ten in passing yards as well. But when you mention that Ohio State defense, and that's going to be that's going to be the difference in this game of you know who's going to be able to make stops. And Nebraska showed that last week, even though they had 673 yards against Illinois, they still gave up you know 221 yards against Illinois in the rushing attack. And and that's going to be the key. And they also turned the ball over four times. So that's going to be the key for Martinez, not to turn the ball over because you don't want to give this team good field position, especially with Justin Fields. You don't want to get them a hot start because, you know, we saw Justin Fields even in that first game where he got to a hot start and that game was completely out of reach. And that seems yep. like that's been every game for Ohio State as they get to these quick leads. And then all of a sudden you're playing from behind. And I think for Nebraska's defense, they can't play from behind. And, and also, Martinez can help them out by not turning the ball over and giving them good field position. So, you know, I, I think if he, you know, passes the ball well, doesn't turn the ball over, and the defense can just make a couple stops. You don't have to get in a shootout with these guys, but get a couple. Just get two or three important stops and give your ball back to Martinez. And I, I think they can make this a close game. Final game in our Saturday spotlight is number 19, Utah. They host Washington State and Mike Leach today. And what's weird about this in the Pac-12 is both teams are coming off of losses. Utah was upset by USC. And then Washington State had one of the most inexcusable losses I can recall in the history of college football. And that's not hyperbole. They were beating UCLA and Chip Kelly by over 30 points. I went to bed. They lost 67-63. to I thought my app was freaking out on the phone. I thought it was a misprint. Man, that, that was a sad game, especially Anthony Gordon had 570 passing yards and nine touchdowns. But that that's not costly to the quarterback. you got to look at that defense. And what's crazy about it is I thought this Washington State team was different. You know, obviously they run the air raid and they're going to score points. And But when I watched that defense play against De'Aaron King – and I watch how they were able to contain him throughout that game, and I think he's one of the he's a more dynamic quarterback than UCLA has. I I, th- I saw that, and I was like, okay, maybe you know this team is you know pretty you know maybe this defense is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And when I watched that performance against UCLA, they allowed 657 on on a UCLA team that had zero identity going into that game, and allowed over 600 yards of offense in that game, and you're up 30 points. You were the team that was supposed to hold the Pac-12 banner and carry it on to at least you know a game against Washington and Utah, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. And and we mentioned that last week of is this team going to be the team that carries the Pac-12 banner? And we both kind of agreed and di- you know disagreed that this could possibly be the team, and they they lose. And and Utah, you know, obviously they're going into this game. If they beat up on Washington State, that's a two-loss Washington State team, so they're officially out. So now it's a game of knockout. You remember we used to play basketball, used to play knockout? Oh, yeah. This is pretty much what the Pac-12 is. It's basically now they're playing knockout. Washington State, they lose this game, they're out. Utah probably will lose a game later on. They'll get knocked out. And that's just been the Pac-12 every year. A game that you're not supposed to lose to. That might be UCLA's only win in the Pac-12 this year because they're that bad. And it's just insane. All right, coming up next, we will go to the SEC swing. We'll focus on all the games in the conference that you care about most. That's next on Saturday Tailgate. Nick and Marquis, ESPN 1025 The Game. 
And we welcome you back into Saturday Tailgate Live here on a Saturday morning. Nick and Marquise, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Short show today as we will take you right up until 10 o'clock today. And then it's pregame coverage of MTSU at number 14, Iowa. As Rick Stock still and the boys make the trip from Murfreesboro all the way up to Big Ten country for really actually the second time in the month of September because they obviously opened up <clears throat> with um, with Michigan way back in the right around Labor Day weekend. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it's going to be a good it's going to be a good matchups in the SEC and and Mississippi State Auburn. Obviously, I'm looking forward to. There's a lot of good games in, in this in this weekend in SEC play. So looking mm-hmm. forward to it, man. Captain Kurt, let's get to the swing. Sit on the Southeastern Conference. With SEC Swing. A quick thought on every SEC matchup this weekend. All right, let's get it going. The 2.30 game on CBS today is number two Alabama hosts Ole Miss. And if you think about this rivalry, in 2014 and 15, Hugh Freeze knocked off Nick Saban in back-to-back years. In 2016, they had an epic shootout that Bama held on to win to snap their losing streak. And since then, 2017, 2018, I believe they've outscored Ole Miss 128 to 10 the last two years. So yes. normalcy restored. Yeah, well, it was funny because I remember last year's game, Ole Miss got on the board early and everybody's like, uh oh, we're going to have one of those games. This is back when they had A.J. Brown and DK, DK Metcalf, Metcalf yep. and, and all that talent on offense. And Jordan Tamu was, was quarterback and they scored that early touchdown. Everybody's like, oh, okay, we might have ourselves a game. Nah, it. Alabama end up winning, still scoring like 50 points in that game. And I see the same thing in this one, too, because I, I just look at the way Alabama's offense have been has been ran, and Tua hasn't had any pressure. When Tua has pressure, he's been struggling, but I, I just don't see this Ole Miss defense putting pressure on Tua. I think you have way too much weapons on the outside with Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, and then not to mention even Najee, even though he's not getting the yardage in rushing attack, he can get it in receiving as well. So it, it's way too many targets on offense for Alabama for Ole Miss to even keep this close. And then they're on a backup quarterback at this point. Plumley may be the one playing in this game. And even though he did play well in that Cal game late in that game, and you know they're at goal line, you know missed opportunity mm-hmm. from actually winning that game and or actually even you know tying that game that that they could have so i just don't see this old miss team on offense being able to keep up with alabama especially at a backup quarterback and you know maybe maybe rich rod will find a way maybe this will be a learning experience from him and rich rod's a smart dude on offense and and maybe he'll start to figure out alabama's defense as the years go by but this is not going to be the year he does it Okay, moving on in the SEC, we've got Mississippi State and Auburn tonight, and some people think that Auburn is due for a letdown. We've seen Bo Nix, they're 4-0, they've had two really good signature wins so far on the road at A&M against Oregon and Justin Herbert. Are the Tigers primed for a letdown tonight against Joe Moorhead and the Bulldogs? I don't think so. I'm actually in... You know, I'm I'm gonna go with Auburn in this game. I think, especially at the game being at home, and I understand they always disappoint in one of those games that you know they're not they're not supposed to lose. But I think when you got LSU, Georgia, and Alabama on your schedule, these are games. And I'm not saying Mississippi State's a bad team, but th- these are the games if you want to contend for a top spot in the SEC. I think these are the games you're gonna win. I, I don't think Mississippi State goal this year well, like I say that's not their goal because obviously every team's goal is to make it to college football playoffs but it's just they're they're not 
in position to make that stride to the college football playoffs, as in, I think Auburn is, especially on defense. And I look at this Mississippi State team, they can rush the football, but this Auburn defensive front is going to be tough for Mississippi State to get by. So I'm, I'm going to go Auburn in this one. I like Auburn in this game. Have we rushed to judgment on Bo Nix? Like, have we anointed the kid too quickly? Because, yeah, you've got some really impressive wins, and you're a freshman. I get it. The best is still yet to come. Yet you look at it, I believe his completion percentage is right around 53%. He's only throwing for a buck and change per game. It's not like he's lighting it up playing pinball and video games right now. He's still got a lot to a lot to learn and a lot to grow with. Yeah, but I'm going to ask this. Is it because of how good the running game has been? Because Whitlow's obviously taken some of that pressure off of him. Now, mind you, if they did not have a running game... That will really test how good Bo Nix actually is, right. and and he's actually good at getting out the pocket. I think there, you know, there needs to obviously be a little bit more emphasis on protecting Bo Nix and giving him more time inside the pocket. And you know, this Mississippi State, you know, defense does have some players out there that can, you know, I know Brian Cole has, you know, he leads the SEC in tackles for loss in this game, and he's a safety out there that's going to be attacking Bo Nix. So I think give him enough time. You know, give him enough. I think game by game, he's getting better, though. I think, and that's one thing that you want to see your freshman quarterback do. You don't want to see a digression of like him, you know, him getting worse every game. And, mm-hmm. and I think I see him getting better within every game. So, you know, I, I think Auburn will be good as long as he does, doesn't make the mental mistakes. And, and I think that's one thing. And I, I think that's why you see him so timid with his passes because he's trying to be a freshman quarterback that doesn't make those mental mistakes. And, I think if he doesn't make those, those mental mistakes, Auburn can kind of go far with the same. Okay, the Vols are off today, but Vandy is not. They're back at home, and finally a little bit of a break in Coach Derek Mason's schedule. No Georgia, no LSU, no Purdue. They get Northern Illinois today over on the West End. Vandy about a touchdown favorite, but in comes Northern Illinois. They're 1-2, and two, but they've already played at 13th-ranked Utah. They've already gone to Nebraska. Granted, they did not look good in either game, but they have played played some stiff competition I'm not so sure that Vandy just rolls over Northern Illinois today no I I don't I don't think so either especially with that defense being as awful as they are and I look at the I look at the weapons that Northern Illinois has they have a lot of weapons at wide receiver but one thing that I think Vandy can take advantage of is running the football with Keyshawn Vaughn you know drink every time you've heard Someone say, run the ball with Keyshawn Vaughn. And last week when he, he had 120 yards, he had 20, 20 carries. And that's what he should be doing. Because when I looked at that Northern Illinois game against Utah, you know, they struggled on, you know, stopping the run. In both games that they played, they stopped, you know, they struggled at rushing the football or stopping the run. And Nebraska had a pretty good game at, you know, against them, you know, getting over 200 yards of rushing against Northern Illinois. So I think running the football with Keyshawn Vaughn, getting him 25 carries in this game and letting him get loose, giving Riley Neal a little bit more of a window to pass it, knowing that Keyshawn Vaughn is kind of carrying the football at a high success rate. So I think that's what they got to do, man. Run the football with Keyshawn Vaughn. And I'm going to say that every week because that's how you get this offense going, man. And, And it seems like, you know, obviously they have a ton of weapons, but they're relying too much on having to give the ball to Lipscomb, having to give the ball to Pinckney, when all they got to do is just run the football with Keyshawn Vaughn and, and spread some of this offense out a little bit. So I think, you know, putting an emphasis on running the football with Keyshawn Vaughn, and I think he can have a big game today. 
Elsewhere in the SEC today, Florida takes on Towson in the swamp. We won't talk about that. Nobody cares. Uh, Texas A&M and Arkansas, a pair of two and two teams, uh, meet today in Fayetteville. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's boys about a three touchdown favorite in this game. They need to get back on track because I think Jimbo Fisher right now, a year and four games in, maybe a little bit underachieving for a guy who's getting paid $75 million. Yeah, I mean, he is. And a lot of questions were surrounding how good is Kellen Maud going to be with another year under Jimbo Fisher? How good is Kellen Maud going to be? And he hasn't been in these big games. Now, in these games against teams like Arkansas and teams that you know struggle on defense, yeah, he's he's shown some promise, but when he goes against a team that puts pressure on him and and they play some actual defense on him, he, he struggles. And, and I He's think Felipe that's, Franks. He, yeah, he's yeah, good, he's solid, but he is what he is. Which is so crazy because going into this season, what do we say? Garantano was going to improve under Jim Chaney. Felipe Franks was going to improve with another year under no. Dan Mullen. They, all and, they, and they Kellen, are what they are. And Kellen Mott. And yeah. they are who we thought they were. And, and they proved that. And he proves that in these games. But... I think he has. I think he has a bounce back game against Arkansas. Arkansas, another team, no identity on offense. I think you know. Obviously, they had a good run game, so they're going to have to be able. Texas A&M is going to have to be able to stop Boyd. But other than that, I, I think the Texas A&M team can roll today. And lastly, Kentucky, South Carolina today. The Wildcats two and two. South Carolina one and three. Both teams that had aspirations of maybe challenging Florida for that second spot in the SEC East. Both have lost their starting quarterbacks, Terry Wilson and Jake Bentley. This feels like one of those games where if you win, you can still maybe get to where, you, you, maybe not to the level you thought this year, but maybe bowl eligible. But if South Carolina loses today, they're 1-4, and four, their season's over. Kentucky loses today, they might not make a bowl game either. Yeah, and then both of these teams are coming back from back-to-back losses against tough opponents, obviously. Missouri and Alabama beat South Carolina, and then Mississippi State and Florida in those close games. I think I'll give the slight edge on South Carolina in this game, and and I know some of those that Missouri game was awful, but the way Ryan Holinsky has been playing and the way he's been getting in tune with his offense, I think could be the advantage that he has. Now they do need to run the football a little bit more with Rico and, and Feaster and, and kind of get this ball rolling a little bit, but I think with the home advantage and how they how Ryan Holinsky played at home against Alabama. And obviously that Missouri game, that was a tough road environment to put a guy that's just a first-year starter. But I I think I'm going to go South Carolina in this one with Ryan Haliski having a big game today. All right, coming up next, another installment of our favorite game of in or out on the following statements around college football. That's next on Saturday Tailgate on ESPN 102.5. Saturday tailgate rolling on live here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Nick and Marquise with you, taking you right up to 10 o'clock today. A short show, only one hour. Iowa and MTSU pregame comes your way in just about 25 minutes. We will have another installment of the Coach's Corner coming up in less than 10 minutes. But right now, Marquise, let's get into another game of in or out. I've got four statements for you, and let's debate these a little bit. So first one, in or out. Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU all have a case to be number one right now as we speak. I'm going to go in. Now, obviously, Georgia and LSU has pr- have proven it by you know opponents. LSU beating Texas and Georgia beating Notre Dame. And, and I know the narrative surrounding Alabama and Clemson and why people don't think that they're a number one team is because of their schedule. But they've proven time in and time out that even though they have these quote-unquote weak schedules – they still get the job done, and they still perform at a high level. So 
I'm going to go in. I, I think all four of these teams can make a case for a championship even. Even LSU, which is shockingly enough, a lot of people didn't think that this will be a championship team. A good team, but not a championship team. But I think this LSU's offense is just tremendous this year. So I'm going to go in, man. I think all four of those teams are the best. I'll probably throw Ohio State and Oklahoma in there as well. But, you know, there's six really good teams that can make a bid for number one. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm in on that as well. I think there are six teams right now vying for a college football playoff spot. You mentioned Ohio State and Oklahoma on the outside looking in. And I would even take this a step further. I think right now that LSU, Georgia, Clemson could all make a case that they could beat Alabama on a neutral field. I agree. I, I just look at Alabama's injuries on defense, and obviously we haven't seen Tua play against a defense that can actually put pressure on him. And, you know, Tua has shown that if you put pressure on him, you know, he, he kind of struggles a little bit, especially when you don't have a running attack to have that balance out. You know, I, I think I, you can make a case for Georgia having that tough offensive line and that running game and Jake Fromm and, and that defense. You can make a case for Clemson and that offense and, you know, their defense. And you can also make a case for LSU because – you know, that that game would be basically which team can get the stop at the mm-hmm. most important time because I think both offenses are dynamic, but I think both of them have flaws on their defense. Okay, statement number two of in or out five of the Associated Press top nine are teams from the SEC. This is bad for college football. Yeah. In or out five of the top nine from the SEC, bad for college football. I'm going to go out because, yeah, it's bad for – you know, certain conferences, but I don't think it's bad for the overall grand scheme of things of college football because you look at the Big Ten and they have, you know, valuable contenders in Wisconsin, Ohio State, Penn State. You can make a claim for Iowa as well. And then when you look at the Big 12, you can make a case for Texas, even though with that one loss, but that game being out of conference. And then you can, you know, make a case for Oklahoma being one of the top six teams, top five teams in the country. And then obviously, you know, you have the conference of, you know, the ACC, which is just kind of Clemson and everybody else. You know, I'm not really making a claim for Virginia just yet because I haven't seen too much of it. And I only look at those five teams and I only look at three of those teams actually being valuable to a college football playoff bid with that being Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. I, I don't think Florida's a top 10 team, and they probably won't be when we, when it's all said and done. And Auburn, they're not going to be a top 10 team only because their schedule's not going to allow them to be. So I'll, I'll go out on that. I don't think it's bad. You know, I think it's just right now it, it's, it's falling in place to where, you know, SEC looks pretty good right now. I'm with you on that as well. I'm in on that as well. I don't think it's bad for the sport, and I agree. Florida is probably going to end up a two-loss team. You know, Auburn is one of these teams that you look at the schedule and we've said, you know, Auburn and Texas A&M have probably the two toughest schedules in all of college football. Auburn, every time you believe it's going to be one of those ho-hum type of years, Gus Malzahn pulls a rabbit out of his hat. Next thing you know, they're competing for something of value when they get to the Iron Bowl Thanksgiving weekend. And here they are again, 4-0. Auburn's the one team that... If we're going to say six teams are competing for four playoff spots, Bama, Clemson, LSU, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Auburn's the one dark horse for me. They're the one team that could crash the party simply because we've seen it before with Gus Malzahn. Yeah, but the difference, and I agree with you 100%, and but the difference is between those six teams you named and Auburn is just the offenses are a lot different, a lot more experienced with Trevor Lawrence. And obviously Justin Fields, not too much experience as a starting quarterback, but you've seen how that offense is run under Ryan Day. I just don't think their defense is probably out of those teams you name. 
I will say Auburn's defense is better, I think, than all those teams that we just named. But I just don't think they can match it up on the offensive side. So, and and I do agree with that. That plays a key factor in them being a dark horse, and I think their defense bails them out of making them kind of a contender in everybody else's mind. All right, in or out on the following statement, one loss Notre Dame after falling in Athens last week still has a chance to make the college football playoff. I'm going to go in, and and I know everybody's going to say they don't have a conference championship game, so that plays a part in it as well. But the way they played against Georgia is not the fact that they lost. They Yeah, they lost to Georgia, but they didn't lose in dominating fashion. They didn't lose to Georgia to where it seemed like it was a difference between, okay, Georgia is a clear better team than Notre Dame. I think if you play that game nine times out of ten, you can kind of split those wins. And you, you, know, you get a big win against Virginia, who's ranked. If USC can beat Washington, and that makes that game a little bit more intriguing, and then obviously they can put the final nail on that Michigan coffin that is in Ann Arbor. So I'm going to go in, and you know, I don't know people aren't sold on, on Brian Kelly in these big game situations, but I think if Michigan's still ranked at that time and that they beat a team like Michigan on the road, I think that's a, still a big win for them despite what we think about Michigan's season. So I'm going to go in. I think they still have a chance to make it, but obviously they're going to have to have a lot of people lose in front of them to order, in order for making a conversation. Yeah, see, I disagree. I will say out. And I, I know, look, the way this is supposed to be, the college football playoff, the four best teams, in everybody's opinion, makes the playoff. That's the point of the committee. And if Notre Dame would run the table and be undefeated and would have won last week in Georgia – there's a 100% certainty that an unblemished Notre Dame makes the college football playoff, even though you might not believe they are one of the four best teams. Now that they have a loss, I think they're out. The amount of chaos that would need to happen in college football for them to get in with one loss, I mean, you would need to see Clemson lose. You would need to see a two-loss SEC champion. You would need to see maybe a one- or a two-loss Big Ten champion. There would need to be so many dominoes to fall for Notre Dame to work their way back in. Notre Dame feels like a New Year's Six team. They don't feel like a college football playoff team. Yeah, and and I agree with that. And like I said, a lot of chips are going to fall. I just look at how the committee is going to look at it is, you know, we're not going to completely eliminate Notre Dame. So, do, yeah, do I? And obviously, a lot of chips is going to have to fall. Maybe a two-loss conference champion somewhere else. Obviously, the Pac-12 is out of the picture, and that it, it kind of obviously there's some dominoes that are going to have to fall in their way, but. I still think that this team, the way they performed against Georgia, I think they still have a chance. Maybe it's not the best chance in the world, but looking at their schedule, looking at their their common, their opponents that they have left, I think they still have at least a conversation that they can make. All right, coming up next, we will go to the Coach's Corner. You're going to hear from Brian Kelly, Jim Harbaugh, Joe Moorhead, Scott Frost, and Dana Holgerson, and maybe Dana Holgerson's hairpiece as well. It's the Coach's Corner coming up next on Saturday Tailgate. Nick and Marquise on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Saturday Tailgate rolling on here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Nick Hale, Marquise Munson with you. MTSU Iowa coming up at the top of the hour. Pre-game coverage begins at 10 o'clock, followed by Mississippi State and Auburn. And then also on 94.9 Game 2 today, Alabama and Ole Miss, followed by Kentucky in South Carolina. So let's get to our coach's corner here where we hear from a variety of coaches across the landscape of college football. We start with Notre Dame head coach Brian Kelly looking to bounce back from that loss to Georgia. I think it defines who you are. I mean, it, it clearly they know uh, what's at stake for them this weekend. They're playing a, 
a really good football team that's nationally ranked. I think it's the first time they've been ranked for three weeks in, in a long time. So they feel really good about themselves. They're going to come in expecting to win. So they're going to be challenged, and they're going to have to respond. So, yeah, you want to find those things out. I, I got a good feeling that they're going to respond in, in, in the right way. But, again, it's – it's closer to defining who you are after coming back from a loss than it is any time after a win. I actually agree with Brian Kelly there. I think Notre Dame bounces back today simply because I don't think Virginia's offense is going to put up enough offense to keep this game remotely competitive. I think Notre Dame wins by two touchdowns. Wow, two touchdowns. I like yeah. it. I'll go a closer game than that just based off of Virginia's defense and seeing what Ian Book has done with a tough defense before. I, I can see it being a game similar to what that Georgia, you know, Notre Dame game looked like last week, minus obviously you don't have a Jake Fromm on the other side and or DeAndre Swift. But, you know, I see this being a, a close game, but I do see Notre Dame coming out with it, and I do think they bounce back from that one loss. And like we said in the last segment, I know it's a one loss that puts a blemish on there. And maybe they do need a two-touchdown win against the ranked opponent to really kind of put them back, push them a little bit further in that conversation. So maybe this is the game they do it, but I just look at this Virginia defense, and I think they're tough. So I'll go a closer game than that, but I do got Notre Dame winning it. All right, up next is Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh, my buddy Jimmy, Jimbo. You got, t- you got, you got taken to the house last week by Wisconsin. Can you move forward? only way I know is to go, go back to work and dedicate yourself to uh... – to improvement and and fixing that's uh that was a bad day that was not one it was not a banner day for for michigan and you know you don't want that to turn into uh two two losses you don't want to let one loss turn into two so everything we do is going to be this is this game this is the most important game this week the most important week win the next game uh and you come back to work and make darn sure it doesn't happen again Obviously, there's always been high standards here, but has the reaction to a, a bad day like that gotten more intense over time? Is it more intense now than maybe it's ever been? I don't know. Um, I don't know that. Just back to work. And um, as I said, the the only ways that, that you know how to do that, I probably figure, probably figure, I don't even have to guess where you're going, but I mean, it's the, we saw it, you saw it, the, I mean, the entire football world saw it, the, it wasn't good enough, and it's not acceptable. Not acceptable to us, and, and um, not much more to say about that. Yeah, good, good talk, Coach. We appreciate that. Um, I, I saw a stat yesterday when I was uh, sitting at home just scrolling through Twitter. The top ten teams in the country right now in the AP poll and how many four-star and five-star players they have on their roster, Wisconsin has the least. They have a total of nine four-star and five-star players total. So they basically went into Michigan last week and housed them with a bunch of three-star players. Pretty much. Just tr- the translation for you. And you know what that translates into? Outcoached. That's that's as simple as that. He got yeah. outcoached. Yeah. And and they, you know, there's a there's a rap lyric that says punks jump up to get beat down. And that's exactly what happened to Jim Harbaugh. He he, got, he was talking all this mess about the SEC and how weak the schedules are and all this off-season chatter and all that chatter led to nothing because all he did is the first ranked opponent that he got to breathe by, he got beat down. And and so that's why you should just shut up and coach your team. 
That's, that's all you got to do. Just shut up and coach your team. And he had all this offseason chatter, and now look where it's led him to. Because he's one loss away from now people looking at him like, uh-oh, like maybe we need to start looking at Jim Harbaugh a little bit different than we have been. So, you know, and obviously, you know, even though Rutgers had a good game against them last year, I don't think it's mm-hmm. it's going to be a Rutgers win. I think Michigan State, Michigan wins this game. But, you know, it's, it's got to be – it's got to look pretty. It's got to look pretty today. All right, let's get to Mississippi State head coach Joe Moorhead talking about how Bo Nix has the it factor. I think, uh, you know, like I said, having, having recruited both and kind of tracked his high school career and seeing what he's done so far, I think he and Garrett kind of both have some of that it factor. We're a little bit mature beyond their years, and obviously, you know, Bo being coached by his dad in high school and his dad was a great quarterback at Auburn kind of has some of that, that savvy that you don't see in a lot of true freshmen. So I think part of it, obviously, is his talent and ability to beat you with his arm and his legs, but some of that experience beyond his years is the other thing. Very, very, very competitive, and, you know, you watch the end of that Oregon game. I mean, he was, he was cool as the other side of the pillow. I mean, he was, I mean, he was just un- kind of unflappable. That was Joe Moorhead, no doubt about it. Bo Nix has that it factor. Nerds love stats, and the stats don't say a ton about Bo Nix, but the only stat that matters is wins. The kid is doing it, and I don't think he's going to need to have a big statistical day to beat Mississippi State. Yeah, and and I know a lot of people frown upon the whole game manager title, but that that's pretty much all he has to do because you're playing behind one of the best defenses in the country. So I think as long as he's managed his game, you know, make some smart, you know, give the ball to Whitlow, you know, make the smart throws, don't make any mistakes, don't make any freshman mistakes, you know, two freshmen going at it. In this game, and, and I think you know th- this could be a, a game that Auburn wins easily. So I'm going to go Auburn in this game, like I said earlier. And I think Bo, Bo Nix's poise is what makes him so special. What has everybody looking at him as like he's a special kid? Because sometimes when you get freshmen in situations like where they're the starting quarterback, sometimes you can see freshman mistakes come out of like you know in their talents, and you haven't seen that yet with Bo Nix. Next up, Nebraska head coach Scott Frost. He says the Cornhuskers are ready to take on the Buckeyes. Well, I don't think there's any question we're playing one of the best teams in the country. When you look at their lineup across the board, it's hard to find any weak spots. I think they got guys that have a chance to play on Sundays at about every spot. You know, But our guys are, are ready to, to challenge them, ready to try. Um, you know, I think we got to have a mature enough team to look this challenge in the eye and, and rise to the occasion a little bit. Uh, I think we'll have great fan support to help us do it. Uh, we got nothing to lose um, but to go out and give everything we got and see where the chips fall. Scott Frost, will they be able? And here's the thing. We mentioned in the beginning of the show in the spotlight, we talked about the quarterbacks between Martinez and Fields. I think you also have to slow J.K. Dobbins down a little bit today because if he gets rolling and Ohio State is balanced on the ground and the air, could be a long day for the black shirts yeah and and that's that's going to be the key to nebraska making this a game not just martinez making limited mistakes but being able to stop that run game and also justin fields can get out of the pocket too as well so if you got jk dobbins who's who's having a big game in the running attack and they run this read option to where you don't know which whether the quarterback or whether dobbins is going to run the football it's going to be a tough task for him but i like that mentality nothing to lose and everything to gain in this game for nebraska but i do think Ohio State's going to win this game pretty easily. Okay, that'll do it for the Coach's Corner. Uh, Only a one-hour show today, so we will not do Saturday selections, but let me put you on the spot right here because it is not a great day across the board of college football as far as marquee matchups and big-time games. I I would say the the Pac-12 probably has the best slate of conference games today. Is there one upset that you are eyeing today? 
Is there going to be one game that we emerge from tonight around 11 o'clock and we say, whoa, that's the story of the day? Oh, man. I mean... Is it Ohio State? Does Ohio State lose at Nebraska? I would say that would be the closest game that I can think of. I wouldn't consider Oklahoma State, Kansas State, even though Kansas State is ranked. You know, both both teams have three wins of the season. I wouldn't really consider that an upset. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see any outside of that. Maybe, and I don't see Indiana. Obviously, I don't see Indiana, Michigan State being an upset. I don't see USC being an upset because both teams are ranked. I mean, I, I really don't. I think that's the game that I, I will look at, and that's the only game. Maybe. I mean, Wisconsin coming off that win against Ohio State, maybe they're a little content with Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald and his um, hashtag, I don't care what your what your opinion is on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe that's a game that you can look at for an upset. I know it's on the road, and you know, but you know, Wisconsin's coming off a, a big win, so maybe they're a little content going up against West Virginia or West or Northern Western, excuse me, today. So maybe that'll be a game I'll look at. Okay, coming up next on 102.5 The Game, we've got Iowa, the 14th-ranked Hawkeyes, welcome in MTSU, followed by Mississippi State and Auburn later today at 5 o'clock. Also on 94.9 Game 2, it's Alabama and Ole Miss. Coverage will begin at 11.30 a.m., followed by Kentucky and South Carolina. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Enjoy all the football across the country, and we'll reconvene next Saturday at 9 o'clock here on ESPN 102.5 The Game.